Steilcast, the German football pod brought to you by The Athletic. It's the 98-99 Bundesliga season rebooted. We take a look at the peak of the FC Hollywood years as Champions Bayern lose not one but two cup finals in traumatic fashion, find out why Falfer Bochum played in the worst shirt in Bundesliga history, discover why Kaiserslautern defender Hani Ramsey faked an injury mid-game and we check in on the fifth sexiest play of the Bundesliga that year Saving Eintracht Frankfurt from the drop in the best relegation battle ever. Hello and welcome to this retro edition where we have Christoph Biermann, Kevin Hatchard and very special guest Jan Agefjordov standing by to go all nostalgic. Oh, da comes Jotov! Jan, I'm especially delighted to have you on today. The fifth best looking Bundesliga player of the 98-99 season. Unbelievable. (laughs) I'm digging and and I forgot and I'm so glad you put that up because I've been through my home home office. Just find this competition of the most sexy players in uh, in Bundesliga. Uh, And then, then not only was I fifth, they said... He got a Tom Cruise smile. Fantastic. Wow. <laughs> and I was the oldest. Who, yeah, who won it? Uh, that was uh, tough for a Norwegian, but it was uh, Sverison who played for Berlin. He played for Hertha. And, but, but that's okay because a thousand years ago, the good-looking Norwegians went to Iceland and created that nation. So that's okay for us. <laughs> okay, we're not going to go into the ways that you created that nation for this podcast to keep it keep it clean, but I think you're much better looking than Tom Cruise. Uh, okay, thank you. <laughs> okay, we also have to talk a little bit about your role in one of the greatest escapes of the Bundesliga history. The last day of the season, Frankfurt needed the win, and... You, you tell us the story. What happened? I guess I have to tell the background is that we, we were struggling when I came there. I came from Barnsley. I was on the bench uh, on a Saturday in, in Barnsley in the Championship. And then I went to play for Frankfurt in Dortmund to 65,000. So it was, a, it was a roller coaster season. But as you said, at the end of the season, we were, we were kind of gone. Uh, and then we have got uh, Jörg Berger, a legendary. Uh, Feuerwehrmann, so it's the fireman who always seemed to, he had a tough life, he w- was going from DDR East Germany over to West Germany, an unbelievable life story he had. And he came there, and, and yeah, and then we had four games left of the season. We were hopelessly away from, from safety. We played uh, Werder Bremen away, we played Dortmund at home, Schalke away, and then in the last game of the season, Kaiserslautern, who then had Balak, they had Rehagel, and they were a good team. They needed a point at that time to, to get into the Champions League. And we, we, we won all the three games. We won uh, in, in Bremen. Felix Magath was the coach there. I remember, I met Andy Herzog uh, in the tunnel. And he said to me, because we played uh, together in, in Vienna by Rapid Vienna, and he said to me, Yeah, I can't play here anymore. I got tears in my eyes. I can't play for this man anymore. And uh, I didn't know that one year later he would be my coach in Frankfurt. That's, uh, that's how football goes. And then we played Dortmund at home. We beat them uh, 2-0. Uh, and then Schalke away, they kind of totally played us off the uh, pitch. We were 2-0 down. 
I touched the ball once in first half, and thank God that was a goal, a rebound, 2-1, and we came in at halftime, and, and our coach, Jörg Berger, said, calm down, boys, this game, we're going to win 3-2, as we did, and we thought it was crazy, but we won. So before the last game of the season, it's uh, Kaiserslautern at home, and all the papers in Germany, they do all kind of things that they normally do at the end of the season, what can happen, what maybe happen, what, what can't happen at all and some unrealistic things. And, but what happened didn't even qualify for any of those lists. So, so basically, we are, uh, it's 1-1, one, one. we are 1-1 one one, one, and we 2-1 for us, 3-1, 4-1 and then totally quiet in stadium. There is total quiet of 60,000 in the uh, old Waldstadion. And this is before the live update. So we had a guy uh, at the bench who kind of with uh, his pencil and a paper start doing a table, a live table. And then you realize that Nürnberg, who had planned everything for their stay in the Bundesliga party with the, the sausages and all the beers that I have in, in Nürnberg. They were going to have a fantastic party. Nobody thought that Nürnberg could go down. But now, we, if we score one more goal, and we are now around the 89th minute, then, then we will have the same goal score as Nürnberg. But if we score another goal, then we will have, uh, now, then, then we will have the same goal score as uh, Nürnberg, but we will stay up because we have most, most score goals. So Cheeky Fjotov said after the game, so then I made one. Uh, and uh, I, I made a 5-1 and I did it with a Übersteiger, a trick that I, I, I did when I was a kid in front of the goalkeeper. And we I think they call it a lollipop in English. Lollipop. Yeah, I did a lollipop with a lollipop with, with a bit developed the lollipop because I, I do it as a shot, the lollipop. And um, yeah, so it was 5-1 and we were all celebrating, but... When, when, we, when I went off the pitch, I saw everybody uh, from the bench going onto the pitch. Jörg Berger lost it as well, as he normally never did. Uh, but I still didn't understand why we were standing up, staying up in the Bundesliga, because that was never that we could kind of get past Nürnberg. And uh, the epilogue of the whole story is that I came, to, I came to my home. We came after we had a big celebration in the stadium, but I came home to my kids and then we we had a look at the highlights and then then it, I saw the, the game in Nuremberg and and after I scored at 5-1 Frank Baumann had the biggest chance in the history of football and it's not possible to miss see there was a shot and Goltz I think was a goalkeeper for Freiburg he saved the ball in the his, for his right corner the ball fell down two two yards two meters away from the goal line and Frank Baumann all he had to do was to do if he did it like one million times, he would have scored a goal, but he missed and Golds saved the ball. And and I in in, in October I was down in Germany and I did the Sky 90 and uh, and Frank Baumann was the other guest. <laughs> and Frank and I didn't say anything. I hadn't spoken to Frank in like twenty years and never spoke about that. So after a while we were having the pre 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 match meal, so to say. And then Frank said well, shall we talk about that goal or not? <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then we just hugged each other and thought I was talked about it. Well, it is a brilliant finish, I must say. Uh, your, your fifth goal, um, Frankfurt's fifth goal, wonderful finish. But also Marco Gebhardt's goal. Yeah, um, that was goal. incredible. Incredible. Yeah, and not only that, I mean, sometimes, uh, and I always say that, uh, because people, I mean, that 5-1 is a Übersteiger. 
uh, is a kind of the symbol of us saving our place. But not only, that's why I always want to say that we, we, in the four last games, we took 12 points against good opposition. And not only Gepard's goal, which was one of the best goals of the season, but all five of them were good. It was like unbelievable goals we scored. It was Chen Yang scored. Sobotsi had a great... So, so there were so many good goals. Ben Schneider scored, I think, uh, the, the fifth, uh, the, one of the five goals. So there, I guess sometimes in life you can always say it's meant to be. And I, and, I, and I get a feeling that that day was meant to be. And after I scored in like the 90th minute, the, 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 the referee let them play. And I remember I played against Forza and they were 5-1 down. And he still wanted to get forward and get a 5-2. And I said to him, in, that was in the game, are, are you lost your mind? They don't, well, who fucking cares if you make 5 2 now? Can you please stay at the back? And we were having a laugh later when we met about that because I couldn't believe that they didn't give up. I mean, please take 5 1 and go home. Can you explain a little bit um, to those who perhaps don't know uh, Jörg Berger? There's a very, very interesting, um, if I may say so, article about him on The Athletic. Go and check that out. But what you made him so you? special? You wrote it, didn't you? Yes, yeah, yeah, did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what, 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 made, what made him so special um, as a manager? And how did he manage to save not just you, but so many other teams in his career? First of all, I have to give a compliment. A fantastic article. I think that through his son, Ron, you kind of got that Jörg Berger that I... I must say I loved I loved him. Unfortunately, he died. Uh, I kept in touch with him from when I left Germany. Thank God I had a fantastic night together uh, some years ago in Düsseldorf. Where he was fantastic telling stories. And what a story he had to tell. I mean, he escaped from East Germany, left his family there. Uh, Ron, that you met, uh, who is, who uh, I guess still living in Frankfurt. And, and uh, uh, the story... You, you knew that he, he had been so, through so much. Imagine this guy escaping from East Germany. That was, for, for young listeners, I mean, th th that was so risky. I mean, he could have been dead. Uh, his family couldn't be dead. And at one point of his escape, there is this guard who recognized him. And, and he just said, yeah, uh, Berger, please go on. You can, you can go. And, and Jörg Berger was, uh, was a fantastic character. He, with his background, with his sense of humor. Uh, and, and what I liked about him was that, I'm, I'm, and I, I love Germany, I love Germans, as, as you all know, but uh, he, he, had, didn't, he had some of this German over him, but then he, the other thing he didn't have. And, and there, there, was this, there were also stories about him, how, how he kind of won the teams over. And remember when he came to Frankfurt, he came over to me and before the first game, and he said, Jan, I'm, and, and you know, he's probably probably seen three, four leaders in the team. So he went over to me and said, Jan, I'm, I'm just wondering uh, at the back there, who should I play? Should I play this one or this one? And it kind of um, it made me very proud that the Jörg Berger will ask me that. And, and, and he ha ha had those kind of tricks. And then sometimes he was like, uh, the, the, the German, uh, we, we all learn that all the Germans are so exact. Uh, so genau, also, uh, the details are everything into detail. But Jörg Berger wasn't like that. So, there was a rumor that he, when he was in Switzerland, he made for the first time ever a 4-4-3 system uh, on the on the on the on the <laughs> board before the game. A, one player too much, too many. And in in Cologne, when he played there, when they had the foreigner rule, then he had four foreigners, and they had to tell him the players. But but kind of that was the charming part of him. And 
I remember a game when we played in, in Freiburg. That was one of the seven or eight games he had that season. I think we made a draw. And before the game, and they had a lot of Georgian players. And all these Georgian players, they were, were, uh, were they, they had Vili's. There was Ichajvili, Kichajvili, Buchajvili, and there was all those kind of, of players in the, in the Freiburg team. And he just got a note from Frank Engels, who was his uh, assistant manager, and, and he said, and he went through the team, and, and, and when he heard his Vili, Vili all on, he was like, Bicic Vili, Kucic Vili, and then he came to Tobias Vili, and if you know your German <laughs> football history, he was probably... He was probably the best player who played for Freiburg. And he said, and this is Tobias Willi. And then he looked at the coach and he said, are you taking the fuck out to me or what? And that was kind of the guy he was. Uh, and, 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 and I found that very charming. And, it was, and I think that was very fitting to, to German teams. Because uh, when you come into a German team to, to save them, I mean, I had the other guy, uh, my friend Felix Magat, when he came in, let's put it that way, he put it the other way. Uh, uh, he was very down to his discipline and he was very into everything should be, uh, be, be very, very exact. Although I, I am one of the few that think that Felix Magat has a great humor, by the way. But there's another story. But Jörg Berger was a, that charming guy. So when he, when he at halftime in Schalke, where they played us off the park, he would, he would say, well, boys, calm down. You will win 3-2. And we were not sure, is he a professor or is he someone who can see into the future or is he fucking mad? I mean, we never knew that. And, and I, still, I guess the juror is still out there. But uh, the way he saved us in 99 was unbelievable. And, and it's so much down to Jörg Berger. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that takes the work out of dressing well. It's a fun and light touch. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic. Fill in the style quiz and tell Stitch Fix about your personal style and aesthetic, budget, size and shape, fit challenges, clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will send you five items of clothing, each handpicked for you from Stitch Fix's selection of 100 brands, including established names, cool emerging designers and exclusive brands you won't find anywhere else. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X.co.uk forward slash athletic. Well, one team that couldn't save uh, themselves in 1999 is Falfe Bochum. And who better than to talk, tell us about this is uh, Christoph Biermann, who was at that final game against Rostock where Rostock saved themselves and consigned Bochum to uh, how many relegations was it at that time? Probably, but not the last one. But they were already relegated be be before yes. that final match because they were um, uh, already gone at, at that time because they had a season that was terrible from the beginning to the end, including their famous rainbow shirts. Um, they, didn't, <laughs> they didn't have the first season then. Uh, it was a second season, but uh, but so the, the season is also Connected to probably the the worst football shirts in in history. And <laughs> How dare you, Christoph? How dare you? We should explain that... perhaps to the listeners that this is not a rainbow shirt in support of uh, you know the lesbian, gay, and trans community. <laughs> no, this is just a this is just a shirt designer basically going absolutely crazy. No, it <laughs> was under the influence of drugs. 
<laughs> no, no, it was a, a, a sponsor, actually. Uh, so at that, the at lottery, that time, yeah, the lottery. A, a, a lottery sponsor. So it was a, a, a very strange thing. I don't know if it, it's, it's still around. So what you could do is instead of bringing your syndicate. Yeah, okay. And that was a big uh, thing at that time. And the guy, um, Faber, was a huge sponsor and shirt sponsor. And he had the idea not only to print his name on the uh, front of the shirt, but also to use the colors of his company and that were the rainbow colors and, and so <laughs> so we had this, uh, this these terrible shirts and they were actually voted uh, the b worst shirts in uh, in history at some American uh, uh, website and uh, uh, so um, Bochum was already uh, relegated and um, And Rostock, they had in the end they had to win, and they were uh, two two one down after 81 minutes or so, and then managed to score two further goals. And the second one that uh, what Jan already mentioned that was, was uh, causing the shock in in Frankfurt because at that uh, with, with this goal um, Frankfurt would have been relegated. And I, I remember being at the at the match, and there were like 10,000 Hansa Rostock supporters there. And I was really a bit afraid if they would have gone down, if they would have went rioting all over the place or, or so. So there was a, a very tense uh, atmosphere and I wouldn't say tense not in the not only in a positive sense. So there was an immense pressure from uh, from 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 the um, away supporters to win it. And and in the end, I must say I was happy that uh, Rostock won it the, this day. I think that is it's a part of the folklore and I've heard it later is that at that time, I mean, sometimes we say that TV is fantastic, but I think that uh, the radio, uh, the radio yeah. that w was in Germany at that time was fantastic. And, and uh, we had a, a, a great guy in Frankfurt and it g gives me now goosebumps when I think of it because I've heard it a couple of times. So, Dirk Schmidt is his name. Uh, if exactly. You... Dirk Schmidt is, is a good friend, a colleague also of Thomas Obotzik. And, and, uh, And not only him, and, and I, uh, what was it called when they gave, they, they, they gave back to Nuremberg? And ich so, melde mich von Hölle, oder was hat er gesagt? Äh, ich melde mich vom Günther Abgrund. Koch. Günther ja. Koch. So Günther Koch is a, is a, was at that time a very famous uh, football or sports uh, reporter from the Bayerischer Rundfunk. And, and, and he was a, also a, a, a huge Nuremberg fan. And he, exactly. So, so in the, towards the end of the game, he completely forgot to be the neutral <laughs> reporter. And he was saying stuff like that. I can't stand it. I don't want to see it anymore. I <laughs> I don't get it, and and so he was actually really desperate, and uh, and sounded like this, and uh, and also I think it's it it, it very much shaped the um, uh, the idea of Nuremberg supporters about their their club because they what they tend to say is uh, their club is their Depp the club so the club it, it, <laughs> Nuremberg in Germany is uh, their club the club the club is the idiot because mm. they. They always uh, um, fuck it. Um, sorry, they always. Uh, <laughs> I've uh, already, I've already broken that one. So. <laughs> It's a special edition this week. Isn't it? <laughs> so they, they they tend to fuck it up in 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 the situation because before the start of the 31st round of the Bundesliga, there were 12s. So mm. uh, so there were actually a lot of team uh, between.
between them and the the uh, the place for relegation that was uh, 16 so but it, um, there is a there is a thing that uh, uh this game for me i mean i always say that and i say it half joke but it's uh, it's reality i say when i work with with great players like lotta mateus or jamie carragher and i say that my trophies are the not going down trophies uh, <laughs> and uh, and sometimes that is a bit sad to do that but but people ask me sometimes when but isn't it Jan, when you have to speak about this game that was a, uh, to avoid relegation. But I think that sometimes when, when you... I mean, the consequences of getting relegated is nearly bigger than win the league. And I'm not, yeah. I'm not, saying, I'm not trying now to give myself a place in the Champions League by, by saying that, but, <laughs> but it's, it, it's like, it's like I met Andy Kupke, who was a goalkeeper, the great uh, German goalkeeper and uh, goalkeeping coach for Germany. And uh, I was the, was the manager for, for the Norwegian national team at the moment. And we just met and we, were ju we, we just went over to each other and hugged each other, like for long. <laughs> because like, it was like, like, like this destiny or legacy and sometimes. And, and I think that when we think back of that, and, and it's great with Dirk Schmidt and Koch, who was in, in Nuremberg, sometimes radio do that for you. And, and, and I think that is a part of how to tell a story and sometimes... I mean, you are a great journalist, and you 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 get it into your your pen and the way you can do it. But it's it's uh, I, I would just when 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 that famous thing that when Norway beat England and this uh, lady Diana and Thatcher and can you hear us and we have we have beaten you. You know this great phrase from the Norwegian commentator, and he and he had the same at the end because Phil Neal, who played played for Liverpool in England, he he knocked one of our players down, and he said uh, he said. Uh, he said, Phil Pig Neil. Uh, and he said, in England, and, and, and England, they got pigs in the stands in their hooligans, and they got pigs on the, on the football pitch. And, and, he, and, he, and he said, boys, stand up for yourself, knock them down. And, and people, people tend to forget that. <laughs> and we should also mention that Friedel Rausch, the coach yeah. of Nuremberg, who took them down that year, was uh, distinguished for two things. One, he was bitten by a, sh a police shepherd's <laughs> dog uh, when he was playing. This is a very famous incident, I think from the 60s or maybe from the 70s. The and 60s. secondly, he was once, once referred to as a pfeiffer, uh, probably a loser, if not stronger, by Franz Beckenbauer uh, when they were both uh, fighting for the title in 1994. Friedel Rausch was the coach for Nürnberg, for Kaiserslautern, um, Beckenbauer was the interim coach for Bayern and uh, Rausch was trying to sort of kind of play mind games and, and uh, Beckenbauer just said, it's such a beautiful day and you want to talk about these idiots. <laughs> press, press reporter. Um, and came, and yeah, but Kevin, sorry, I interrupted you. Sorry, sorry, Kenneth, Kevin, sorry. No, all I was going to say was it was interesting what Jan said there about uh, relegation battles meaning more because when you look at this from a commentator's point of view this is the dream scenario if you've got five clubs going into that final match day who could all go down part of you as a commentator thinks fantastic because whatever happens there's going to be a story and if you look in those that last 16 minutes you had Hansa in the drop zone when they were losing to Bochum they equalized Frankfurt go 4-1 up and knock them straight back in there and Nuremberg only really drop in right towards the end when Rostock go in front uh, in that game 3-2. But equally as a commentator, you start to panic and think, 
I've got to make sure I don't mess this up and I've got to get all of these games in from yeah. everywhere else. Please don't be the guy who says they're safe. Oh, no, yeah, they're yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be that guy. And, but that, and that guy, this guy is existing in German football because oh, we remember yes. Uh, yes. Schalke. Yes, yes, yes. Schalke. <laughs> and, and I know all about that because I, I, I didn't know the tension for that because I was uh, working with Sky on the top spiel and we were sitting in the corner in Schalke and I was sitting with, with uh, Stefan Freund, that was okay, with Sebastian Hellmann, that was okay, but then I was sitting with a guy called Marcus Merck and Marcus Merck was the referee who gave the free kick. He was totally innocent because there was a free kick for, for Bayern at that time. And mm. can you imagine? You don't think it was a free kick? It was a back pass, no, wasn't it? Oh, no. But, but it... Uh, it was Definitely, one hundred percent. Okay, <laughs> so by is, majority rule. Okay, <laughs> but, but the point is that when we were sitting there, they start throwing things at us, and and beer was okay because beer you can't get hurt. But when I got one of these number eight uh, balls in uh, billiard or in pool, uh, was just one centimeter away from my head. Then we had to move, and all when we did top spiel, and the rest of the three years I spent there, we, we were sitting in a museum. And maybe Schalke, that fits Schalke well, I guess. But, but interesting so that somebody yeah. is bringing a pool uh, uh, ball to, the, to a football match. They I wanted to hit Markus Merck with it. Yeah, <laughs> they were prepared. Did. Yeah, they were prepared, and we had to go with securities and everything. But, uh, but, but so, so there is this guy. I'm not, I, I will not say his name because I think there is a su suspect. Uh, but uh, who said that in Schalke it's over, you won the league. And how, how long was it, boys? How long did they win the it league? Was, they... It was four, four minutes, but it was Rolf Fuhrmann. I think he's, you know... Hello, he's, Fuhrmann, uh, you yeah. said that, I didn't say, I yes. didn't say it. But um, <laughs> this, is, this is the 2001 season when uh, the last day of the season, Bayern needed at least a point uh, yeah. away to Hamburg to clinch the yeah. title. And uh, they were 1-0 down going into injury time. And Rolf Fuhrmann, the Sky reporter, told the Schalke players and Schalke officials when the, their game was over that they had won the league. And mm. they started celebrating. Um, the crowd started uh, invading the pitch. But then they played the last few minutes of the Bayern game on the big screen. And they all saw how Bayern equalized through Patrick Anderson in the very last minute, or in injury time, I should say, after that very controversial Markus Merck free kick. But this is 2001. We are but talking about 1998, <laughs> 1999. We love football, don't we? We love football. And what, what struck me, um, Jan, watching some of the footage back this week was just how eccentric and wild this league was. I mean, you had mm. characters like Werner Lorand, Otto mm. Rehagel, Effenberg on the pitch, Berger. I mean, there were people constantly sort of on the verge of losing it, it feels. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. the emotions yeah. <laughs> seem to be much more raw and also in a way much more unprofessional compared to 2020. Would would that be an accurate description? Yeah, I, I like your descri uh, description, but I, unprofessional, I think that maybe we, we, we needed more of that. I think that the football, uh, I'm not saying it will never come back, but uh, I mean that unplugged, that raw thing, I, I would love to have a bit more of that. You see it sometimes when 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 you win games, but there, no, there are so many departments of communication. Sometimes I miss that kind of time, and I, when I say that, I, I, I'm, I'm, I seem like I'm 100 years. Uh, but but I remember also you said it good with these people losing it. Jörg Berger, he was a guy that 
he had always his great suits on. No, 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 suit with, with his shirt and the shirt and his trousers and a, had a good blazer on. He was always so perfect. Uh, till one day he came into the dressing room and he had forgotten to take off the price tag. And he, came, <laughs> and, he, and he came into the dressing room and the boys were all laughing and nobody said anything. And then uh, Anska Brinkman, the, the white Brazilian, uh, by the way, a nickname that he gave himself, which is a fantastic <laughs> communication strategy. And uh, so he said, he said to Berger, Berger, so... 199 mark <laughs> and he said what do you mean uh your trousers are he kind of embarrassed him big time but but I, I also remember the day after the 5-1 he we we went to frankfurter house there was a place we used to 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 go uh the the guy who run it was a big frankfurt fan as as the normally are around clubs and berger and i was i had my family there we were going back to to summer holiday and he said you know jan you know jan friedel rausch friedel rausch he said, and always touched his nose when he got excited. He, and, he, and he kind of, you know, Friedel Rausch, he said in the paper that Jörg Berger would, will be relegated. He said, Jörg Berger. He said, Jörg Berger. He didn't say Eintracht Frankfurt. He is a fucking asshole. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so he lost it the day after as well. <laughs> you mentioned Ray Hagel there. Rafa, I was just going to say, you mentioned that kind of, you know, unplanned, wild edge to the season. And I'm thinking I've, I've watched the footage of this extraordinary mistake that he made in this game against Bochum, uh, where uh, one of the, I mean, bearing in mind Kaiserslautern were the champions and Ray Hagel was, you know, is, is rightly esteemed as a legendary coach. But he had a player go down. He brought on a guy called Pascal Ojigwe, who was a yeah, Nigerian true. international. But they already had three non-EU players on the pitch, and you were only allowed three. You couldn't have four on the pitch yeah, at the same true. time. So he brings him on, and about two minutes later, somebody from the board comes down to the bench and clearly says to him, what have you done? You've brought on a fourth player. He looks really sheepish. He starts running his hand through his hair. He, it's, it's when you realise either you've left the oven on at home or you've left the keys in the car or you realise you've done something horrendous. So mm. he then gets Hanny Ramsey, who was one of the uh, non-EU players. He brings him over uh, to, the, uh, to the sideline and says, look, I've made a big mistake here. You're going to have to pretend to be injured and come off. It's the worst acting performance I think I've ever seen. He suddenly pull. He plays. He plays a killer pass. Then suddenly pulls up lame. He's on. He's on the floor for ages. One of his teammates tries to help him as if he's got cramp, and he's like, "No, no, no!" And then they eventually take him off. He then sits on the bench, pretends to hide. He puts his shirt over his face as if he's pretending to hide. And then I think they all realised the game was up and they lost 3-2 yeah. anyway. But when you when you read about it, it's one thing. When you actually see the footage of it, <laughs> it's extraordinary just seeing how it slowly collapses over time. And, and it was, it was also it's funny, it's funny that when you analyse it like that, because when you're in there, you, you don't think of that as a... Because I am kind of a, a kid of that generation of players where the shirts were a bit... Not so tight as they are today. Thank God for my body and things like that. You know, you, it, it's so funny to see it then thinking about no, because for us that was kind of normal. And I and I think it, it was another thing that that they had a tradition in Germany. Somehow I'm not sure about that tradition anyway. But I remember I came to the the party after 
after we won 5-1 and the referee was there. So referee was kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought, what, 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 what will happen? What would happen? Because this was the last game of the season, and he was there, and, and I thought, what was going on here? And 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 and, and there was like things like that all the time. And, and what I liked about that because that's one of the reasons I love to work in Germany because because I I think when 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 the the kind of branding of the German from abroad, but I. But these kind of things that happen in Germany all the time, and I find it that so charming when they try to be this uh, kind of uh, branding of a German, and then they kind of lose it. Oh, the referees are the party. Okay, that's normal. <laughs> People losing it, and and also you guys, you love Germany as well, and 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 I love I love the way the Germans. Then everything is so right, and everything they do everything properly, and then then you start analyze it, and it's always ten percent left. But well, how do you do that? And I said, well, we fix that. We'll, we fix that. They all, always got that 10%. There is always there so uh, to, to, to be a bit charmed about. Well, Otto Rehagel could not fix his uh, substitution mistake, but the game was lost anyway. So in the end, it didn't make all that much of a difference. They lost 3-2 against Bochum and Bochum um, waived their right uh, to uh, have the game result in a 3-0 in win, for example, even though they thought about it. So that goal difference might come into play. Of course, we know in the end it did. And Bochum went down. We heard as much. Nuremberg as well. But also, perhaps surprisingly, Gladbach went down. Um, I think it was their first ever relegation with a team with uh, Sebastian Deisler, uh, Max Eberl, uh, Robert Enkin goal. Um, and Rainer Bonhoff on the bench, but uh, it wasn't wasn't enough. Christoph, do you remember? You you must have been a journalist already. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I covered them um, at that time, and yeah, it was a, what a bit of the end of the of a long way down. Um, I mean, Borussia Mönchengladbach has had been a major force in German football for for many years, but they they had missed the chance to, uh, or they didn't manage the chance to to build a new stadium so they had to had talked about it for many years but they, their plans had never materialized that that only came some years later and at that time so they um, were, were, were getting becoming smaller and smaller so once a, a, a big club that was competing for the German championship and then a club that was regularly competing for international football they didn't have in, enough money anymore playing at the old Birkelberg with um, a, a lot of uh, a very few seats uh, only one main stand the, the rest was standing area and so so they they were losing it and and they were also not uh, uh, cleverly uh, managed at that time so for example they they brought in before the start of this season we're talking about they brought in uh, Tony Polster who was a legend at uh, at Cologne at their art rivals and he came to Borussia Mönchengladbach and he I remember him being very entertaining in interviews and stuff but when you watch him playing football you always had the feeling that you should bring in a table and and a cup of coffee or something like this oh hello 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 <laughs> Tony Polster one of his generation's best goal goal getter yeah he but not at that time not at uh, that, that time is, that is a fair point but the thing is one of the reasons he went to Cologne as you said it was a hero but uh, and he scored i guess it was sevilla he scored unbelievable amount of yeah. goals in spain and but and, and i he, if he had played for bayern gert muller would have lost his record that's my uh, opinion because he, he yeah. was a fantastic goal scorer but maybe he was then moving 
Thank God there was a striker who moved less than me in the Bundesliga last year. <laughs> for, for sure. <laughs> the problem yeah, they had was keeping the goals out. They conceded 79 goals that season. They lost 8-2 to Leverkusen and they lost another game 7-1. I mean, it's extraordinary. And that's to Wolfsburg. <laughs> yeah. Nobody loses 7-1 to Wolfsburg. <laughs> Not at that time, yeah. <laughs> you, are, you are talking to a guy who played for a Premier League team that conceded 100 goals in the 93-94 Another surprising feature of that season um, was Hertha uh, being very, very strong, um, doing well enough to qualify for the Champions League. It's, it sounds as if it was 100 years ago. It is 20 years ago, almost. Um, really good team with the likes of, of um, Michael Preetz and Andreas Thom. And because they brought in Darius Wosch from Bochum. The key. Yes, in, in a way. <laughs> but, but probably I'm a bit biased him. here. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it's a good, it's a, it's, I think it's a good quiz because I, I think Pretz was the top scorer in that year, wasn't he? He scored an unbelievable amount of goals. Uh, and he, he was the top scorer. And, and sometimes you forget that, uh, that Hertha Berlin had that period of time when they were really good. And, and you kind of miss that always when you see, you would love to see a Hertha, Hertha team do well because you know that City... Yeah, well, we all uh, Berlin is a great city, and they should have a great team. But this was nearly the closest they got. But there's there's echoes of what's happening now, of what happened then, because it was in '95 when an entertainment group started pumping money in in return for shares of future profits. And you think of what's happening now with the the big city club project uh, in inverted commas. Um, and that hasn't gone smoothly either with Lars Windhorst. So in the end, even though Hertha had a, a small amount of success, uh, it didn't last. And you wonder if this current project is going to come to fruition as well. And they are so unlucky as well. Can you imagine that Klinsmann's diary suddenly disappeared and ended up in a paper? It's, imagine it's so that. unlucky. It's so unlucky. <laughs> and, and it's so unlucky. And remember, Jürgen Klinsmann just wrote that for his own personal uh, thing nothing for the press uh, they are so unlucky Hertha. yeah well things happen sometimes um, <laughs> do you like beer do you like free how about you guessed it free beer as a valued listener we'd like to bestow upon you just that thanks to our good pals at beer52.com you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world all you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash German and cover just a postage of four ninety five. Got to pay the postie. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of Stahlcast, you get two extra free beers. So that's 10 free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. No surprise then that they are the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 delivers a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Belgium, South Korea, California, New Zealand and many more, but they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. As well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment, which explains the theme and individual beers you'll receive, and a beery snack is thrown in just to top it all off. Don't like dark beers? Choose the light plan. 
Easy. Just go to beer52.com forward slash German to get your case free. And don't forget right now, Steilcast listeners get two, three extra beers. We know about the relegation battle. Uh, we talked about briefly about um, Hertha. Kaiserslautern finished in UEFA Cup places, having quite sensationally won the league before as a newly promoted side. Um, but it wasn't to be repeated. But of course, the champions were buying that year. And this was an interesting year because they had just brought in Obma Hitzfeld doing the typical buying thing when there is somebody in the league that annoys them, that wins stuff. Yeah, they yeah. tried to sign him. And with Hitzfeld, they managed to do just that. And he really transformed this team, didn't he? When you're talking about Ottmar Hitzfeld, um, I, I, I think um, Ottmar Hitzfeld was very, very unhappy at Dortmund. Um, because uh, you remember that he was winning the uh, Champions League um, in 1997 with Borussia Dortmund. And um, I remember that uh, being there at the match and afterwards you had a press conference where you could see a deeply depressed um, uh, coach because um, he had completely fallen out with uh, Gerhard Niebaum, the president of Borussia Dortmund at that time. So there was a big uh, battle going on behind the scenes between the president and uh, um, who was a kind of, uh, yeah, all players could come to him and, and he was co completely overstating his, his role. And on the other side, Otmar Hitzfeld, who was who was really, really frustrated about things going on. And I think he was happy that he could could uh, go to uh, to show what he was able to at uh, Bayern Munich at that time. So, so he was so desperate with one of his leaders that he thought, well, you know where I'm going to go? I'm going to go to Uli Hernitz. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, but but I, I think that Hitzfeld, uh, at that time, as you said, uh, uh, we, we, we just did something yesterday in our uh, channel in Norway about that uh, German final in 2013. And, and I was uh, lucky enough to be one of those who knew that Götze were going from then Dortmund to Bayern Munich at that time. And there was a big story uh, that I, uh, a very freshman in, on Twitter, uh, was able to be a part of. And I, I was thinking of that time. That was so typical Bayern. And it's been that for ages, and you just feel that they, they will all. That is the. I'm not saying that's the only philosophy they have, but but it's a great philosophy, and I, and I think that the war heroes of uh, uh, not using that phrase in Germany, uh, of course, but the, the the war strategy is to weaken your opposition, and they always did that. And with, with Hitzfeld, you just feel that maybe. Although he won the Champions League with, with Dortmund, the way he and him and you Pinkins, I mean, they seem to be the only two coaches in the world. And maybe you can throw in Udo Lattek and maybe Kramer, I don't know. But they, that, they can train, that they can train them. And always when they're, they're talking about the new coach, they will always call Hitzfeld and Heinkens and say, can you still do it? Are you 102? But you can still do it. Please come. <laughs> and you just got that feeling. And, and that was the start of that time. And... And Ottmar Hitzfeld, a great character, a, a great personality, a gentleman of the game and, and one I highly, highly respect. Well, if you think of the characters that were in that team as well, it was remarkable that he managed to blend them together to win the league by 15 points, which was a record at the time. You had Mario Basler, who was controversial at the best of times, got sent off in the cup final against Werder Bremen for two of the stupidest yellow cards I think you'll ever see. And even said himself, he said, 50% of players hate me, and it's the same with the fans. They 
would love to send me to the moon without a return ticket. And then he had <laughs> Stefan Effenberg and Lothar Matthäus who loathed each other, so much so that uh, in Effenberg's book, he dedicates a whole chapter uh, to Matthäus saying what Lothar Matthäus knows about football, followed by a blank page. So bearing in <laughs> mind that uh, you had all of these massive characters to actually blend them in the way that he did uh, was hugely impressive. And he even said about Basler that, you know, he was a difficult guy to coach, but he was a genius. And if you could get anything out of him, it'd be worth it. I think that is one of the keys. If you see the great managers, uh, uh, how they manage to blend different personalities. And uh, maybe sometimes we are too much aware of the way they do tactically and all that kind of things. But these these managers also have the skill to put these different characters together. And Lotta Mateus at that time, now he's one of the best pundits around. Uh, we, we, he knows his football, but still these leaders and still Hitzfeld somehow find that, that juice to glue these guys together. And, and, and Bayern at that time, when you go through that team, not only great, great characters, but they were fantastic football players. And somehow... It's some managers they underestimate that thing to make them function in the dressing room, and maybe, maybe they spend too much time to make them like each other. Who cares if you like someone? Just give me good crosses. That's what we're in there for. And I think that that they are these guys with Effenberg and Lothar Matthäus. They are two of the characters in the German game that hated losing. And somehow, if you have a, a leader like Hitzfeld who managed to kind of glue that together they don't need to like each other and and in germany they got enough sport books that tells you they hate other uh, teammates of that but they still won uh, a couple of trophies in that country well this was the fc Bayern at the height of the fc hollywood era uh, (laughs) when those big characters were all together and producing an endless array of stories on and off the pitch christoph i'm wondering as a journalist, were you able to appreciate the footballing side of this Bayern team that uh, Jan talked about? Or was Bayern as a story, as a club, it just so unlikable that you couldn't really judge them? Yeah, maybe that's true. And uh, maybe also because uh, literally they were uh, far away from from me. I mean, I, I, um, I didn't see that. I did see them when they came to play in the West. Still at that, uh, at that time, I had the problem that there was a huge uh, kind of cultural difference how uh, football was seen in the area where I was living. I was living in Cologne, coming from the Ruhr area. And, and so how football was seen there and what Bayern was standing for, I, that was worlds apart. And when you looked at, at even even with Borussia Dortmund at that time, where Gerd Niebaum had brought in a lot of uh, big names back from Italy, in the end winning the Champions League and so on, and also Schalke on the way becoming uh, to become a, a big uh, club. Towards the end of the century, it was um, Bayern was was. Yeah, far away, culturally far away, and so and and for me also, and um, yeah, and and and, and to, to to put it like this, I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> can you can you can you explain a little bit more about those cultural differences? I mean, one thing that was perhaps typical of that is that Bayern that season brought in a very controversial blue shirt. Um, their fans did not like it, but the rationale was someone in the marketing department had figured out that people prefer blue to red. And that's why the number one 
um, home shirt for that year was this kind of knockoff Ralph Lauren type thing uh, with blue, <laughs> white, and uh, just a little bit of red. But that was kind of emblematic of where Bayern were going. I think they were ahead of the curve as far as the marketing, as far as seeing football as a product. Is that the cultural difference that you... That you exactly. That's, uh, I think that's the point because that was all the... Uh, so all of this stuff was in its virgin years, I would, would say, at that time. And Bayern was very much on the forefront. But also um, the thing that Jan uh, already mentioned that... Um, uh, Bayern um, w was able to maintain their status as a number one in Germany uh, very much by um, weakening opponents and that uh, didn't seem very impressive in a way because you could solve these kind of problems with, with, with the money and not with this fantasy and bringing interesting players in from, from other countries. They did that also. Uh, over the years, but but not. Um, yeah, I, I I think they were they were good. They were massive, but they were not from not, not very inventive and and um, uh, and and at that time far away from from the roots of football that I, like I experienced it in in my area. I remember the two first games I I I remember in my life. I'm born in '67, and it was a World Cup final in '74. I supported Holland because Cruyff was there and West Germany won. Uh, 75, European Cup final. It's Bayern Munich against Leeds United. Bayern, Leeds United, I support the Leeds United and Bayern Munich won. <laughs> and from that on, then, from then on, I always had a, I'm not saying I had a soft spot, but I always followed Bayern because there was something about that generation with Maya, uh, Beckenbauer, Müller that kind of attracted me. And, and imagine we, we are here in, in season 98-99 and this, it feels like it's like it's 100 years ago. And yeah. still Uli Hoeneß was CEO or he was the boss for 20 years at that time. So mm -hmm. can you imagine the, the stamina he has got and the different stages he's been through with Bayern? And, and, and yeah, I agree a bit that they kind of found each other. They, they had to find a way to do it. But I still think that that Bayern aura, I think that is so important. Uh, and Bayern is a lot. Yes, it's FC Hollywood, but it's also uh, a world kind of club, a global club that still have that family roots. I always say that they have the two Muppets in the, the balcony with the Rummenigge and Hoeneß. And it's kind of charming way of running a big, big club. So I think that all these controversies, although I see I respect the, what you're saying about the different cultures from different parts of Germany, but I think, thank God, in football, there are teams like Bayern that we can always talk about uh, in a podcast today. <laughs> I wonder yeah. as well if the nature of their defeat to Manchester United in the Champions League final that season softened some attitudes towards them, at least for a tiny amount of time. Not for long, but just for a little <laughs> amount of time. Maybe a few nanoseconds, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, or a lot of space for, sure for, the <laughs> for, for the German Schadenfreude. <laughs> yeah, but it's a, this is a club as well. I yeah. mean, and how, how they they done it, if, if we see down uh, that FC Bayern, what they have done, if you see through their, their history, so they're losing in 99, then coming back, then winning on penalties against Valencia a couple of years later. 
Then they, they lose in 2012. They lose, was it 12? They lost against Chelsea at home at the yeah. Alianza Arena. Yeah. Yes. And, they, and, and still they come back and win the Champions League again. And, and, I, and I guess a lot of the things can be said that we, we take now from 1998-99 season and up to today. And, and you kind of feel that there is some to make bad translation but there are some trains going now and you, you're just wondering where will Bayern be where are where is the position of Bayern at this time they they also had their ups and downs but they still managed to get some great players they 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 had Uli Hoeneß there and and they always had this winning mentality but you you're just wondering how hard it is for Bayern now to find where they are and we read today about uh, Hans Flick, who wants Timo Werner, Salah Hamisic, and, and so on and so on. And you're just wondering, where will Bayern be the next couple of years? Uh, which players will they get in? That, Man that, that Manchester City, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester United, Liverpool will get. So, so it's quite interesting to see the history of Bayern, where, where they always tended to bounce back, and I'm not talking about winning the Bundesliga. I'm talking about winning the winning the Champions League. I think it's going to be a, maybe this could could have been the year, and but now because of this virus, we have no idea what will happen. No, that is very true. We don't know what will happen, but we do know that uh, Bayern didn't just lose one big final that year, the '99 final in Barcelona, of course, a very famous one. And I'm sure we'll have time. Uh, at the Starcast pod to delve into that a little bit further. But uh, there was a final after that, which has been somewhat forgotten, I think. But Kevin, what happened in the German FA Cup final that year? Uh, well, I watched extended highlights of this and enjoyed this hugely. Uh, you less so, Rafa, maybe. Um, so Bayern have the chance of a double. This was a couple of weeks after what happened in Barcelona against United. And it was a one-all draw with Werder Bremen. Werder scored very early on. Carsten Janker, who'd uh, been Bayern's uh, um, joint top scorer in the Bundesliga that season uh, with 13 goals. Remarkable striker. Never quite looked as though he was at his fluent best, maybe. But he always managed to get goals somehow. Um, he equalised. Um, there were some brutal challenges, as I mentioned earlier. Mario Basler, A, got himself sent off, and then B, refused to move away from the touchline, having been sent off. He was there in one of those massive coats uh, and just kind <laughs> of generally sniping at anyone who was anywhere near him. Um, and so you couldn't get a winner uh, in uh, the 120. 20 minutes. Frank Rost, who was the Werder Bremen goalkeeper, absolutely remarkable saves uh, in normal time and extra time. Uh, Oli Kahn, who was in goal for Bayern, uh, had one save where he made some dreadful error initially. It was a, a, sh a shot that was straight at him. He punched it with both fists. It barely went anywhere. And it was almost as if he thought, this save's too easy. I'm going to make myself one that's far harder just to impress everyone. So the ball loops up in the air and he then does a star jump and manages to make the save. But then Rost in the penalty shootout lives out every goalkeeper's dream. He saves a pay, he scores a penalty, and then he saves a penalty, and Werder Bremen win on penalties. It was a remarkable final with a remarkable end. And and uh, if I if I may say because I I because we were talking about that because I I remember the game like you and fantastic describe it there Kev but uh, I I and I looked at the, the penalty takers for for Bayern was Salahamidzic, Dai, Tanat, Janka, Effenberg and Mateus and the two missing was they were Effenberg and Mateus wasn't it? 
If oh I, yes, if, that's if absolutely if right. Like, and Effenberg's penalty would have won it, and he put it miles over, and it still hasn't come down. <laughs> and uh, Mateus, interestingly put his coat on immediately. So as soon as the 120 minutes is reached, he's got the coat on and he's walking away as if to say, I am not taking a penalty in this. And it was only after we went beyond the five penalty takers uh, that Mateus uh, came on to take a penalty and Rost was able to save it. So that was interesting. Bearing in mind that Effenberg had uh, uh, also described Mateus as a coward for not taking the winning penalty in the World Cup final that Andreas Bremer took instead. Yeah, but for, but but maybe it, it was because um, uh, Lothar Mateus was kind of traumatized by exactly. taking the exactly. decisive penalties because uh, in the season before he went from uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach to Bayern Munich he missed the pe penalty in the penalty shootout in the German Cup final against uh, Bayern Munich if I remember it correctly and right. uh, yes it's correct and, 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 and they hate him probably still today at, at Mönchengladbach for that because they had the feeling that he was already giving the cup away to the his uh, uh, the team he was playing for next season. I mean, that's uh, idiotic uh, to say, but uh, so that was a perception. And so I, I didn't have it in mind that he, he twice lost uh, a, a cup final uh, uh, in, in the shootout and he was the decisive guy. And also sometimes it's forgotten that when uh, Solskjaer scored, uh, Mateus wasn't on the pitch. He, uh, didn't, didn't he go off earlier in, in the Champions League final? I yes, think I'm he did right. five minutes yeah. before the end. Yeah, yes. and, I, and then, then they were one up. So I, I, I always said, to, and I said once to Lotta, do, do you feel that you won that Champions League because you were one up? And it was like a, <laughs> it was like a funny end to the season because if if you if you look at the footage of that Champions League final as well, Basler chipped Schmeichel, hit the post, I think, or was it Scholl? Was Scholl did it, and and it was like an unbelievable final. So for Bayern that year to lose those two finals, they did not like that, and uh, that was a uh, was a a funny end to it, and it just shows you uh, that the brilliance of football when Werder Bremen then. Uh, as you did describe with Kev, uh, with Ross then being the big, big hero in anyone's dream. A funny end, yes, but not one that I personally can laugh about. But uh, this was very enjoyable. Thank you very much, guys, for delving back into the 98-99 season in our Athletics Reboot series. Starcast podcast will be back very soon. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye -bye.